Good morning. Welcome. What a great day to worship the Lord. Can we give him all the glory that is due to him together right now by standing, if you're able, and singing verses 1 and 2 of hymn number 66, To God Be the Glory. The grace and peace of Christ be with you. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you chose to worship the Lord with us this morning here. We also want to welcome and worship this morning as a guest worship leader, Junko Cheng, and her friends Dave and Ken, who have come with her as leaders, part of the Saddleback worship team in the absence of Beth, Beth this morning. So welcome. Glad that you're here with us. We have a friendship pad that's near the center aisle, and we'd love to have you take it and fill it out and pass it down the aisle. Let us know that you're here today, whether you're a visitor today or whether you're here every week. We'd just love to know that you're here with us. You'll see that there are announcements that are in the bulletin, our connection sheet. Our parish nurses will be doing a blood pressure check right after this service in one of the rooms over here to the side in the prayer room. Everybody's welcome to be part of that. And also at 10 o'clock, we have an adult education class responding to God's mercy. It's a companion class to our sermons that have been going through the book of Romans. And it's going to be taught by Craig and Chelsea Williams over in the parlor over on this side of the campus. <clears throat> also this afternoon, we have at 3 o'clock a free ice cream social in Tankersley Hall followed by a wonderful concert by our, all of our choir and all of our bells. And it is going to be, you notice, a bluegrass, jazz, and gospel concert. So it is a great concert even for kids. I think they will love being here. So start with ice cream and come in and listen to the wonderful music this afternoon. It is a day that is just full of all sorts of music around here. Uh, also, Third Friday Clippers is signing up for their garden party, which is this Friday. To, we have a, because it is a gated community, we really do need to have you sign up by today. And you'll notice that we have a new way for you to sign up at the cart on the patio with a charge card. You can do it easily today. And also, because of the gated community, we need you to be carpooling as much as possible. Something new we're trying this summer, we have three events that are called Ah at Home Hospitality Hour. It's a chance to get to know other people that are part of this congregation, and that sign-up is on the patio also. Our new, next new members class will be in July, and you can see the information about that there. Jerry and I will be leading it. And if you're interested in becoming a part of this congregation, We'd love to have you come and find out more about us. In fact, if you'd like to become a member, you can complete the membership process during that one-hour class. Today is the day that we are advertising ways for you to be involved in our Vacation Bible School this summer. There is a card out here, that amazing-looking card that looks like a mountain, and it has on it some things that you can take about things that you will donate 
to be part of Vacation Bible School. So you're welcome to take more than one of those and bring back the things that they need for Vacation Bible School. It's one of the ways that they keep their costs down for you to be able to donate a part of that. There's also a way at the outreach cart for you to donate to people who are recovering in Nepal through World Vision. And I understand that it is somebody's anniversary today. Harry and Anne Sexton are celebrating 57 years of marriage. Congratulations. I'm pretty sure that they were married when they were five years old, don't you think? And Harry said they were four and a half, actually. And I need to announce to you the passing of David Huntley. He's one of our regular attenders, and there will be a service on Saturday, June 27th for him at 1 o'clock. We hope you can join us for that. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. I see my brother Tim McCalmont, pastor at Costa Mesa. Welcome to Laguna Beach this morning. I'd like to pray this morning the, the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Thank you, Lord. We worship you, the God of peace. In the name of Christ, amen. Please join me for our call to worship. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all day long. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Let us stand and worship the living God.
This morning we come before our merciful God in word and in song to confess our sin. Let us pray. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. To you, O God, I lift up my soul, lift up my spirit to my Lord. To you, I lift up my soul. To you, O God. To you, O God, I lift up my soul, lift up my spirit. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. To you, O God, I lift up my soul, lift up my spirit to my Lord. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my life and deliver me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. To you, O oh God, I lift up my soul. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of our youth or our transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember us for your goodness sake, O Lord. We bow our hearts before you in this silence. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My friends, hear the good news. Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For we were going astray like sheep, but now we have returned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen.
hear some more of that good music come this afternoon. We've been moving through uh, Paul's letter to the Romans this year. We're in chapter 12, verse 14 today, um, seeking to bring uh, Paul's words into dialogue with the words of the gospel and other portions of Scripture. So I'd like to call your attention first to two passages that read very much the same from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew chapter 5. It's on page 5 in your New Testament. Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 27, but I say to you that listen, love your enemies, Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. In the words of Paul, Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, dear Father, help us to listen to the words of Jesus as disturbing as they are. Transform us by the power of His Spirit. Motivate us deeply from within our hearts to love one another, even those who are so difficult to love. We pray this in Your name. Amen. It always concerns me when anyone thinks they're being persecuted. I have known some folks who have persecution complexes. And so often what is going on is that we are projecting out onto others our feelings about them. But in saying this, In reflecting on these scriptures, especially around this notion of enemy, 
I thought again of how that, that notion of enemy has shaped and formed my life and the life of our nation. On December 7, 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And President Roosevelt called it a day of infamy. And thus, World War II was launched in the Pacific Theater as well as in Europe. And we were in it. And there was no escaping from it. At the end of that war, we entered the period called the Cold War and the nuclear arms race. And we knew very clearly who the chief enemy was. And that vision of the enemy in the East, the bear, shaped and formed how we used our national resources. When I was a kid in elementary school, I'll never forget we had nuclear raids drills. And they taught us how to get under our wooden desk to protect ourselves from an atomic blast. Good grief. If I had only known then that all the nuclear armaments of the United States were being assembled in my hometown, I would have known for sure, even as a kid, that there was no way that the wood on top of my desk was going to protect me. And then with the fall of the Iron Curtain and the Berlin Wall and, and all of that in the late 80s and the early 90s, we entered a period of our history in the Western world where it was not easy to define our enemies. And I think many became aware that our national identity, as much as anything perhaps, is defined by our enemies. So that we need our enemies to know who we are and how we are to live. And that places us in an awkward position, doesn't it? Who's your enemy? Then on 9-11-2001, the enemy emerged. <laughs> And we knew clearly who the enemy was. Osama bin Laden, the new Adolf Hitler. Saddam Hussein, the new Adolf Hitler. And all of our focus in terms of national identity and the things that we were engaged in revolved around our understanding of the danger and the threat of terrorism and the spreading meltdown and warfare in the Middle East with the Arab Spring from Libya to Egypt to Syria to Iraq to Afghanistan to the nuclear negotiations with Iran. We are a people who have been shaped and formed by those who think differently than we, those we would define as our enemies, and tragically, who define us as their enemy. Since 9-11, a foul spirit has been released in our land. And people are discovering enemies everywhere. And we've become a society that's lost its civility, that is polarized. We no longer know how to speak with one another, especially with those who are in the other camp. Whether it's red or blue or Republican or Democratic or black or white or rich or poor. You name it, Presbyterian Church USA, ECO, we're in our separate camps. And we're having to learn all again how to dialogue with one another and how to live together in peace. We are 
as the psalmist said, surrounded by our enemies. You turn the news on tonight, where do you go? To Fox or to MSNBC? The reality of our lives are shaped and formed by that. This is the human condition. It's the story of the Bible. It's the story of ancient Israel, isn't it? Israel grew up in an environment knowing that she was surrounded by her enemies. There were the Egyptians that held them in bondage. There were the Canaanites that threatened them in the promised land. There were the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Greeks and the Romans. Up to this day, the Palestinians and the Israelis. We read the Psalms of Israel, and we are reminded that so much of the liturgy and the prayer language of ancient Israel that we use also prayed about Israel's enemies. And usually the prayers went something like this, Dear God, protect me from my enemies. Dear God, get my enemies. Dear God, destroy my enemies. And if you need to use me to destroy my enemies, use me. Their gods are no gods. And even that beautiful psalm that we all love from Psalm 23 the good shepherd who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. But that powerful, insightful word from Psalm 139, when the psalmist is praying about how awful the enemies are, he says about himself, search me, O God, and know if there is any evil way in my heart, renew my spirit. We read the Gospels of the New Testament and we discover immediately that Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior and Lord, came into a world filled with enemies who were determined to destroy him from the time he was born, King Herod the Great who slaughtered all the children in Bethlehem, seeking to destroy them, the one who was born as king of the Jews. And Jesus began his public ministry in his hometown synagogue. And by the time he had finished with that very short sermon, his hometown friends were so angry with him that they tried to kill him. The religious community, the Pharisees and the Sadducees planned together how to arrest him, where to arrest him, how to eliminate him. He was identified as the enemy. And it was his enemies who at last succeeded as he gave himself up to them. They took him in the middle of the night having been betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples who proved to be an enemy. And they put him on trial and convicted him and mocked him and beat him and hung him on a cross where he suffered and died. And it was from that cross that Jesus prayed that prayer that has shaken the earth. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Not the kind of Messiah that the disciples expected or that first century religious community expected, a triumphant Messiah, one who would come with his armies and cast out the enemies of Israel and put the Romans back in their place, but rather you have one who comes as a humble, suffering servant who becomes the sin offering 
who lays down his life upon the cross and yet in his whole life and ministry speaks words like these in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you, for so they did to the prophets. Blessed are you. And he commissioned his church to go out into that first century world where the believers discovered very quickly that they too were surrounded by their enemies who read the kinds of things that the Apostle Paul said about himself and that he said to the church, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. He said to the Corinthian church, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. Paul knew to whom he belonged, and he knew the spirit of the Prince of Peace that was alive in his heart, and it was transforming his worldview as much as anything, he knew that he was an ambassador of the peace of God's kingdom in a very troubled world that would cause him great pain and that would ultimately take his life. And yet what was released into the world in the community of the believers was a spirit of prayer and thanksgiving, of reconciliation, of affirmation of unity, of reaching beyond boundaries, of working for the peace, unity, and purity of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul knew all about that, as did Peter in his letters, powerful letters, reminding us that Christ is our example who willingly laid down his life, he was wounded so that the deep roots of our animosity and hatred toward one another might be healed and that we might be reconciled and we might be empowered to bless those, even those who are against us. It's difficult. We talk about it on the national world scene. It comes right down to congregations. It comes down to families as to how we can live together in peace. One of the books I've just recently started and loving is, um, is entitled uh, Dante Can Save Your Life. Now, that's an interesting thing. 13th century poet Rod Dreher writes it about Dante's divine comedy. And he said that poem saved his life. Really, he shares more his own story than he does about Dante in his book. And it's a powerful story. He tells the story of growing up in a family in Louisiana where his dad was a total man's man who loved to hunt and fish and to take his kids out, and he wanted his kids, his son especially, to be like him, but the son was not like his dad. He was an intellectual and a poet and considering the ministry and a sensitive soul. And one day, Dad took them out into the forest of Louisiana squirrel hunting. And he says, I really didn't want to go. My sister loved it. She was a tomboy. She could kill squirrels, and it didn't matter to her. It was a laughing matter. Reminded me of what I heard on on public radio this week, a debate between the carnivores and vegans. The carnivores saying, humans are just animals anyway. They've always eaten one, and the animals eat each other. Why should we be sensitive about that? And so the boy with his shotgun, with his sister and his father, 
are roaming through the woods, and he sees something move in the trees, and he fires. He thinks it's a big squirrel, and out of the tree falls two baby squirrels. And one of them is dead by the time it hits the ground, and the other is, is suffering, and the blood is coming out of its eyes and nose. He puts it out of his misery, and he said, it was the turning point in my life. I sat down and I wailed, I cried, and my sister and my dad came running up to me and asked me, are you hurt? He said, I can never do this again. I cannot take life. And his sister simply laughed. It's just a squirrel. His dad looked at him and said, you're just a sissy. Sometimes when we think about peace and reconciliation, somehow it's only the sissies that line up on the side of peace. It takes a lot of courage to say things like Jesus said about the need of the human condition. As Reformed Presbyterians, we're not pacifists. We know the nature of sin, and we understand that evil must be confronted in this world. And sometimes that will mean war. And so Presbyterians have sent chaplains out with our armies because we understand the kind of world within which we live and we hold that unique tension between knowing that we have to make war at time with also being called to be peacemakers. As Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Four years ago, I was invited to be a part of a group that came out of the National Prayer Breakfast to go to Basel, Switzerland, and there engage sort of in behind the scene, if you will, without any publicity whatsoever, to engage in a peace conversation with an equal number of Iranian Shiite um, um, imams, some 20 of them. And we, on our side, were a group of, of Catholics and, and Protestants and, and Jews and for three or four days, we read papers to each other and we talked about peace and whether or not we could find a way of living in this one world at peace. And one of the things I discovered about those Iranians was they want to live just like I do. And we have to find a way, if possible, of sitting down and talking together as the nations are now, seeking to find a way out of the meltdown in the Middle East. It's the same in the church. Two weeks ago, one of my sisters in the presbytery, who's on the other side of things than I am, from another church who I've always liked very much, Call me and says, I want to take you to lunch. And I just want to listen to you. I'd like to know what is breaking your heart. And so we went to lunch this past week and we had this wonderful conversation. We affirmed what we have in unity, the centrality of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit the mission of God through the church, the authority of Scripture. And we talked about those things about which we had different ways of interpreting Scripture. And the beautiful thing was is that we really realized that we had far more in common than we have that might separate us. And in a time when Presbyterians and almost all branches of Christianity are dividing into their own particular camps or tribes. And it's really easy to identify those guys in the other tribe as the enemy. 
for the salvation of the world. We need to sit at the foot of the cross long enough to know what it means to be healed and reconciled and to rediscover what it means to be human. Last Sunday night, a number of you were with us in the parlor when we heard from the couple from Rwanda who are stationed now in Nashville, Tennessee, out of the First Presbyterian Church there. They escaped Rwanda at the time of the genocide, spent six years in Kenya, have come to the U.S. The church in Nashville adopted them. They now work for the Presbyterian Outreach Foundation. They help us distribute our funds to the Tumaini Orphanage in Neri, Kenya. Wonderful couple. We have lots of friends in common. But they told the story by means of their video and by their own verbal comments about what happened to them in Rwanda and how neighbor turned against neighbor and Christian against Christian. Tutu against Hutu. And how there were some nearly a million people who were massacred by machetes and guns. And years later, they found out that the aunt, William, found out that his aunt, who had fed him as a little boy, had betrayed his family and was responsible for the death of members of his family. And he was being invited to return to Rwanda to reach out. And it was a, I sensed a spiritual crisis and challenge for him. And you know what he did? He moved in the spirit of Christ. He went back. He found his aunt still alive. And he carried with him a bucket of water. You know what he did? He washed his aunt's feet as an act of humility and forgiveness. That act is the spirit of the one who hung upon the cross, who cried out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do who knew that the ultimate destiny of humanity is not endless warfare, sin and death and destruction of planet Earth, but the ultimate destiny of the whole creation is the new creation, the kingdom of heaven, in which only those who have made peace with God and with one another will be welcomed. We are called to that today. And I want us at this time to stand and to affirm our faith together using the words of Francis of Assisi. Together, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine Master, grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering.
judge and our defender suffered and crucified forgiveness is in you descended into darkness you rose in glorious and join us as we sing that chorus again. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the Let us pray. Merciful Father, we thank you for being a prayer-hearing God, that we would cherish this gift each and every day. It is an overwhelming thought that the creator and sustainer of the universe gives heed to our prayers and meets our needs. As a church, cause us to make our joy complete by aiming to be like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and purpose to be a witness to our community and our world that we depend upon you and your grace for all things. Inspire your whole church with the spirit of power, unity, and peace. Grant that all who trust you may receive and live in obedience to your word via people of peace, truth, and mercy. We pray for those parts of the world that need your peace, for Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Israel, and Palestine for tensions with Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. We pray that you would work upon the hearts and minds of those who rule and make decisions to long for peace and justice. Lord, accept this offering that we give you as a sign of our obedience 
and bless our effort as we seek to be faithful for the sake and glory of Jesus Christ, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. same apostle wrote to the church at Ephesus that God in Christ at the cross, in the shedding of his own blood, made peace and reconciled us to the Father. The church celebrates that peace is God's great gift in Christ and that we are called to live into his peace to be friends together in the mission that he has given to the church for the whole world, for Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, rich and poor, male and female, to reconcile and to renew and to bring us into right relationship as a people of justice and righteousness and peace for the glory of God. Go forth to make peace and to learn to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm -hmm.